Welcome to Stories from the Influencer Economy, episode number 69. My guest is Omar Zenhom. Welcome back to Stories from the Influencer Economy. So glad you are here this week. Episode 69 is a great one with Omar. I can't always say that I meet people in real life that come on the podcast, but I had the pleasure of meeting Omar this past week in San Diego at his webinar, Ninja Conference. So big shout out to that event. It was a lot of fun. Met a lot of great new friends. Had some beers with some folks down at Balboa Park. I learned a lot about uh, webinars, which I didn't know as much about. So I'll be doing webinars soon on this very network for the influencer economy. I want to thank everyone who has signed up for the email list at influencereconomy.com, giving out book chapters in advance, exclusive video content, and other goodies that I know you're going to love. So hit me up, hello, at influencereconomy.com if you ever want to connect around the email list. So without further ado, Omar Zenholm. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm here with Omar Zenholm, host of the $100 MBA show. Right. And so your show is is really aimed towards people that are doing it themselves. And what I, I told you earlier I love about it is you're not appealing to like the lowest common denominator of how to get wealth immediately or 10 steps to buying a private jet. And I feel like the, the world of business has this like bottom feeder economy of people that they sometimes play up this mythology. Like Shark Tank does a great example. There's a great yeah. example of that. Where I think you are focused and why are you so action focused and what kind of ideas, you know, inspired you to say, look, these are because you're, you're very yeah. directional in, in your approach. And how'd you come to be? I think there's two reasons. The first reason is that um, I recognize very early it's it's the easiest thing you could do in business is sell the dream. Like that's the easiest thing to do. Like, it's like and a slice a of American pie. Like that's yeah, everybody. The dream. You, know, the, you can have this. You can have that. Um, but the hard thing to do is to sell something that's real and that actually uh, illustrates what work is involved. You know. You know, often people when they market their products or services or podcast or whatever, they will just talk about all the wins, all the things that you can get, rather than how it, how it's going to get done. The reality, um, the what's there, but not the how. Um, and so that's one thing. The other thing is that I'm very adamant about feeling the obligation as a member of this community, you know, online entrepreneurship, to clean up the business world. I really feel like it's been tainted by, you know, not a lot, but a few people out there that unfortunately have given us a bad name, you know, that have that gives online entrepreneurship a bad name. And I think that it's part of my duty to make people understand that hey, I'm not I'm not doing this. This there's a difference between what I'm trying to tell you and teach you and convey to you and the path I believe that is not only um successful because I've been through it, but also sustainable. You know, um and the thing is that no one wants to actually talk about the real kind of work you have to do. And one of the people that I really admire that has a pretty big following and big fame is Gary Vaynerchuk because he does say it like it is. You know, and he he's a bit abrasive sometimes. Some people just can't take his interface because he's so abrasive. But he does tell you that you know the reason why I have you know a million dollar company or million dollar company. I'm going to buy the jets for billions of dollars is because. I hustle every day. He gives you a video of like his schedule. The dude's a maniac. He's like he's a robot, right? So I, I totally I disagree with you. You disagree with me? Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, he's, go ahead. I don't think he's necessarily giving it a, the business world a bad name. No, 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 I'm saying he's giving it a good name. Uh, I'm no, saying, I'm, but I'm not saying opposingly. I disagree with you like wholeheartedly. Yeah. I think that he also has created this like subset of people 
that like tell you how hard they work and they hustle mm-hmm. and they tell you how busy they are and they're not really doing anything and they just repeat everything he says. Like I have people that email me uh. that listen to my show and they're just like, like I go out of my way to like tell narrative stories around people's right. success and I'm writing the influencer economy book that's about people. And from that, there's principles that I think we all have. Like you, you very similarly, I think have a similar, like a, a philosophy that guides you and money is a byproduct. Like, right. And I think that I like money comes to people that act a certain way. And obviously you have to work your face off to make it happen. Yeah. But that Gary has a whole crew of people that just are disciples that tell mm. themselves what he thinks is the gospel. Yeah. When he has like amazing deal flow for startups, he's invested because he's an influencer. Right. He had a business that he he went to YouTube early. Uh, I love him for that. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of ways that like, people like they recite these people like Chris Saka is a big tech investor. Yes. As if these are like messiahs and that because they're successful and rich that they're the right folks to listen to. Um, that's a good kind of take on it. Um, I think you kind of have to take a look at the the essence of what Gary or Chris is saying, or Tim Ferriss for that matter. I mean, the reason why I kind of look at Gary as a, a good example is if you look at what he's done, like he didn't have a following. You know, he started from scratch. He had a wine, you know, with Wine Library TV. You know, so like he was a nobody. He didn't have a best selling book. He, like that all came later, you know. And when I see that example, the way, the way I perceived it when I first saw it was that, you know, like that's attainable. Like I can do that if I'm willing to do a show every single day. Yeah. You know, the amount of work five days a week, he did a video show for what five years, six right. years. I mean, who's going to do that? And that's, I think the message I got was that that's the barrier entry is so high mm-hmm. that most people won't do that work so that if you actually do the work, right. you'll have a competitive advantage. So versus the mythology that this happens quickly and... So many people well, I know like start a yeah. podcast and they're like three months later they give up or they start yeah. an email newsletter and they stop after a month and a half because it's hard. Yeah, it's just, it is hard. And the thing is so important. The, the thing that, yeah, and I, I often mention that on the show and what I often try to say on the show is you can't see this as something like um, if it doesn't work then I move on. Like whatever it is, you're doing a blog or infographics or videos or a podcast or interviews or whatever they whatever it is this is content marketing it's a part of your business you got to keep on doing it like you can't have no marketing department in your business you got to right. keep marketing and since you're bootstrapping um, you're not going to dump money on ads you're not going to dump it on TV time or whatever you're going to dump it on you're going to dump it on creating great content so you just can't stop doing that. that's got to be part of your your machine part of your process it's almost like we can accept the fact that you know, we have morning meetings every meeting uh, at an office job or there's certain tasks we have to do in the morning or every day, but we won't write a blog post every day for our own business, our own thing that's going to make us successful, right. you know? So, I mean, that's just something you just have to get used to. Um, and the thing, is, and this is what I'm talking about, this is not glossy. Right. That, that, I mean, that's work. And not only oh, yeah. work, but it's mundane. It's like, I got to do the same thing over. Yeah, you got to do the same thing over and over. There's nothing um, special about it. A lot of people ask me, you know, like, well, you know, I see that your blog gets a lot of traffic. How did that happen? You know, like, I, to be quite honest, I just went at it and I start wrote, writing and writing. I have posts that have no traffic whatsoever, but I have posts that get traffic nine months later because then they start getting picked up or for some reason they get interesting um, and you don't know what it picks up or not but you, that's not my job my job is to just keep writing you know so did you make money right away from 
Oh, no, not at all. (laughs) Uh, I lost money because I was investing my time. Um, You know, when we launched the $100 MBA, you know, Cole and I took two months off, didn't take any clients, didn't take anything. And we took a big gamble because we said, you know, we want to make sure we take the time to create the best podcast possible, um, you know, to have the right episodes in the can and make sure that the production quality is high and, you know, and we're launching this properly. A lot of people ask me, like, when you launched the $100 MBA show, um, you know, you were on New and Noteworthy for such a long time. You were like number one New and Noteworthy for five straight weeks, which was a feat in itself. Because in, in iTunes, yeah, yeah. I mean, we were we launched all, with Tim Ferriss and and um, startup. And people ask me like, so why did that happen? It's like, well, you don't see the background of the work that we did prior to that. You know, I wrote ten blog posts, guest blogs on different blogs, which means I reached out to thirty. You know, yeah, and yeah. I wrote different posts for each of them that got rejected. You know, I got on shows and I, I did a lot of legwork beforehand that most people won't do. So I'm like, I'll do it and I'll get ahead. You know. And so you had your launch goes well, and according to yeah. your own standards. Well, I believe so, and I and I, I think the the philosophy behind it was that I I wanted to launch the podcast as if I was launching a product for sale, but instead of money, I'm asking for subscriptions, you know. And if you take it that seriously, like what would you do with a, a product launch? You you would do guest posting, and you would get out as much as possible, and you would do a pre-launch and get people on an e- emailing list so you can let them know to subscribe and rate and review. You would tell your family and friends. Um, you wouldn't treat it as a side project. The other thing I, I, I did is I actually analyzed successful podcasts. Like mm-hmm. if you take a look at a show like, you know, This American Life, um, you know, Mark Maron's WTF, or you look at Tim Ferriss, for example, or Startup, you know, like they're not doing this as a side project. They're not doing this to see what happens. They have, they have a vision and they're so saying- So you went all, you went all like, this is my thing. I want to make up my full-time gig. I don't think there's any other way to do it. If you want to, like, I have a philosophy. Well, what like, about every podcast that is in the business community? Is like your side gig, your side that, your part time this. I, I'm 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 gonna alienate a lot of people right now, but I and the only reason why I say this is because I side- I've already alienated everyone that likes Gary Vaynerchuk. So. Yeah, so I got. I mean, I did a lot of side hustling for about seven years, and the the one lesson I learned in that side hustling phase, and I made money, I had great businesses. Uh, but they had a ceiling, and the thing I learned was you're going to put part part time effort. You're going to put in part time yeah. effort. You're going to get part time results. Right. That's really the crux of it. Like I I can't expect to compete with somebody who's spending double the time, double the effort. Their whole mind capacity is dedicated to making this thing successful. Versus me, who's spending five hours a week. You know, like what am I like? Do I have the Midas touch? No, of course not. Yeah. Like, is it, it's not. It's not like a mystical thing. It's it's science. You know, you have to work at it, put in the hours. You know, if you work at something hard enough, you're gonna get results. Yeah, I made um, less money. I went all. I was at tech startups for a while. Had like pretty good track record. Had some money from stock, and yeah, I went on my own a year. Like uh, it's my two year anniversary coming up because I have my daughter, and it was like right around the same time. Like. Yeah, terrible time to go on your own, or the best time to go on your own, because I, yeah. I felt like it may be the last time I really can do it. Because once you have yeah. three kids, it's different than one little baby. Yeah. So my first year, I made less money then than I ever made since I graduated in college. Mm-hmm. But then it's like with the equity I built and the relationships I have and the content and the more, I still feel like I'm ahead of the game. But the yeah. money it doesn't come even now, like two years into it, I still haven't yeah. made as much money as I did, you know, working for other people's companies. But the difference now is it's on me. So if I fail, it's it's my my butt on the line. Versus yeah. before, I was relying on other people to make the big decisions 
that drove the nature of our companies. And that's like such a different thing to talk about unless you've actually like gone through. And, yeah. And, and, and uh, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, the thing I just want to clarify is that I, I'm not saying that everybody should jump ship, leave their job. Right. And, because that's the I, those worst seven advice, years because people do that yeah. and then they're like screwed either yeah you know, i mean those seven years i side hustled i learned what kind of entrepreneur i wanted to be i learned i made all my mistakes when i can afford it when i had a job when when if i you know lo had losses in my business i still was able to you know feed myself and clothe myself you know yeah um so it, it's a good exercise and, and it's also a good exercise just to build up that um, confidence to say I can do this. I have the abilities to to earn money on my own, um, and that does take some time. It takes longer for some people than others. I mean, I'm an educ like that's where I came from. Education. The reason why I went into education is because I wanted a stable, secure job. That's right. why I got like you know like I didn't think about finding a risk. You know, I didn't want to go to the military. I didn't want to become a doctor. So I was like, okay, let me let me uh, go into education. Everyone's got to be educated somehow. So um, you know, it was hard for me to make that kind of leap because I had to, you know, prove to myself, I could do this. I can actually pull this off. And, and you, I think that exercise is very helpful. You have a quote that you talked about uh, saying you're 34 or last year you're 34, but you felt like you were 44. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer that like if I hadn't have gone through the 15 years of professional life, like I did stand up comedy, I failed miserably at that. I uh, dropped the mic and retired many years ago, but being a part of all these other things, I wouldn't have been able to take this risk. So I think a lot of people think that they should jump in and maybe quit their job, but you really need a lot of life experience before you're like it's a, life's all about like taking risks, but you're also mitigating yeah. the opportunities for failure if you know what you're doing because you've been through it before. Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, sometimes when I go to conferences, I meet different entrepreneurs, and I just kind of look at like their experiences, my experiences, and sometimes I feel like okay, maybe I'm strong in this area because of. Irrelevant experiences, I didn't think they were important. Like, I did a lot of traveling when I was young. You know, I, I went to see many different countries and cultures and languages, and I immersed myself. So, I have, um, you know, particular people skills that I'm able to kind of get along with people, even when I don't speak the language or things like that. You know, and that maybe could be a form of sales or whatever it is. But, you know, experiences can be masked in different ways, you know. And um, I, I definitely think that if you're, if you're in that mode right now, in the side hustle mode, don't take it for granted. You know, this is a good time for you to figure out what you're doing. Work as hard as you can. You know, when I was side hustling, I worked, you know, about from eight to around maybe 12 or one o'clock at night every night. On the weekends, I was working on my summer break. I was a teacher, so I had a lot of summer break. I was full time working on my businesses. So, and it's something I loved and enjoyed. And I figured out what kind of businesses I really liked and which ones I didn't and which ones were better investments and whatever, you know. So, this is a good period of your life don't think you're a loser or think that you're not really an entrepreneur or whatever that you know those voices in your head tell you so what it, when you go back to starting a hundred dollar mba show and then you have a larger program around that people can subscribe and get courses what was the main inspiration like what was the problem you felt like you were solving with it that's a good question. I mean, um, when I was making that transition from becoming a full-time educator at the university I was working at to being a full-time entrepreneur, being completely on my own, uh, I went to Wharton Business School because of oh, my really? own... Yeah. Like for full-time? Yeah. I, at that point, I already had my master's in education, but then I had my own insecurities. I was like, how can I be a where'd successful entrepreneur? Uh, I went to University of, um, of Arizona. And where'd you and, go undergrad? Uh, Rutgers. Okay. Yeah. So you're like well educated. Yeah, and I have 
like I can't even number how many certifications I have for teaching and you know assessment training. There's all these things you gotta kind of like keep up to date with as an educator. Um, and so when I made that transition, I was very insecure about who I am as an entrepreneur, as a business person. I thought like, how can I be, you know, in business if I don't have an MBA? No one's going to take me seriously. It, I was just insecure. That was the yeah. bottom line. So I applied to Wharton Business School and I got in. I was super excited. I was like, wow, this is one of the best business Which schools. Which is no small feat. Yeah. It's, it, and, and I was very happy about it. Um, and I, I attended a full semester. And at the end of my first semester, um, I got pulled aside. What year was this? This was uh, about three and a half years ago. Okay. So I got pulled aside um, by my professor, and he told me, he asked me, like, you know, what are you doing here, Omar? I was like, what do you mean what I'm doing here? I'm was that, getting was my- it Adam Grant, the author of Give and Take? No, no. A former guest of this podcast? <laughs> and I'm like, um, I'm here to get my MBA. What do you mean? He's like, so why, why do you want to get your MBA? I was like, uh, I, I want to be a great entrepreneur, and that's why I'm here. And he said, you don't get your MBA to be a great entrepreneur. <laughs> I was like, you don't? And he's like, no, you get your MBA so you can get a middle management job at Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley. Yeah. And that's why all these people are here. And I was just, he's like, you know, business school doesn't have a monopoly on education. You can get this information somewhere else, you know, and you can apply it to your businesses that you currently have and you can save yourself $150,000 and invest it in your startup or your business. And you can learn a ton in that process and make me? some that's money. Amazing advice. Yeah. And so... For me, it was kind of a light bulb moment. I was like, wow, I'm a, I don't need to get this piece wow. of paper and I don't need to do this. I can just believe in myself and, and, and go, out, go out on my own. And, and I also had a, you know, a second light bulb went out and I was like, hmm, you know, there's got to be other people in my position who want to learn about business, that want to be better at business, but don't, don't necessarily want to pay all the money to go to business school. They don't really need that permission slip because they're going to be entrepreneurs. They're not going to be, uh, you know, middle managers. So um, the hundred dollar MBA idea came about because you know most successful or most popular uh, business schools are a hundred thousand dollars. So I thought, let me start one for a hundred dollars. So were you so, solving a problem that you felt like you would you wish you would have taken this course than yeah, shot one hundred fifty k. Yeah, I thought to myself, you know, when he told me like there's you can find the information, uh, you know, somewhere else and you can learn. I was like, let me find that information. And let me teach it. You do, know, do you have kids? Uh, I have two kids from a previous marriage. Okay, so how did that conversation go with like your significant other or whomever mm-hmm. is the mother of your children? Yeah, because you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to Wharton because I'm going to be able to make money for the rest of my life at working at an investment bank as a VP, pulling in like good six that- figures. Yeah, that was very difficult because, um, you know, it's it's instability. You know, it's not something that, you know, it's easy to swallow for anybody in a relationship, you know. Um, plus the fact that I was doing very well at my job uh, as an educator. I was getting promoted very often and I had a very good salary, very stable, had a lot of time off. I bet. Um, but it wasn't my calling. It's not what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I never saw myself doing that. I always thought, you know, when I, you know, I'd be doing something else, you know, I just thought this is just what I'm doing right now. So, um, it, it was a, a point of contention in my relationship. And, um, but you know, sometimes you have to make the decisions that are best for you. And in the end, like, I mean, it just seems like it makes perfect sense to me because I'm in this world that you're in, but looking at someone who's like a friend from college or like, cause I realized I went to Vanderbilt university. Wow. That doesn't help me with what I'm doing right now. I'm writing a yeah. book. I have a consultant business. I have a podcast. Like it doesn't help. It doesn't move the needle either way. Yeah. So I talked to my friends from college and they're like, huh? You know, like, what are you up to again? Like, can you remind me? 
And then I realized, okay, it's good that I've made some new friends because yeah. they're in this world. But how, how do you articulate like what you do to people that are more of a traditional, like institutional way of thinking? Yeah. I got to say that my network of friends and everybody I'm pretty much close to has completely changed in the last few years yeah. just because of what I do doesn't really make any sense to them. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the exception, of course, is my immediate family, you know, my, my sisters and my mom and dad and things like that. And, you know, they love you no matter what. But um, even them, you know, they're not 100% sure, like, how exactly is this working? You know, like, okay, so um, people, how do they, you know, my mom, you know, she kind of understands. My dad is kind of a little clueless. You know, he's a very traditional salesperson. So, um, but at the same time, you know, when it comes to friends, you know, this, I, I think it's unnatural for you to have the same friends all your life. Totally. I think that's completely um, a sign of you're not growing. You, you have to grow out of certain people. People will not grow the same and speed they, in as In some way, you. these people hold you back because they think you're this guy they went to college with. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, you've always been this person that maybe drank too you're much. You're not that person anymore. You know, yeah. you acted like an idiot. So there's no way whatever you're doing is going to work. And yeah, it's such an easy way to like put someone into like their own box yeah. 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 So you've made some new relationships, but then do you even bother explaining what you're, you know, you're up to to other people? Like, what if you go to like the Rutgers reunion or? Um, I do. Um, and most people, you know, they, they kind of understand, you know, they're, they're, they understand what's going on. Do you, have to, like, do you have to say like how much money you're making to like validate? No, I mean, they don't really ask, you know, yeah. um, they kind of, you know, how'd you get into that? You know, it, like, do you go to school for that? That kind of thing. Um, you know, it's funny because like you say that now, and I think all my all my very close friends and even like just friends are entrepreneurs. People yeah, that totally. uh, I'm thinking about the people that I see regularly, and they're all pretty much do the same thing I do and do it the way I believe in. You know, like <laughs> not even like entrepreneurs that have a different kind of way of marketing or things like that. So, and I think that was, I mean, that was sort of like subconscious design. I think because, you know. <sighs> As an entrepreneur, the first thing you realize is that your time is your biggest commodity. And right. I, I really don't, like, this is not to sound arrogant, but I really don't have time to waste with people or in relationships that don't add value to my life. You know, if I don't feel like I'm feeling better or I feel supported, then I'm, I'm going to cancel you like I'm canceling a subscription. Like, yeah. I know that sounds heartless, you know? Yeah, it sounds, it sounds heartless, like, but yeah. I'm, I'm I mean, going to, like, definitely beware of you if we become friends. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to get canceled. Omar's you know? not returning my calls. I'm only, I'm getting a... <laughs> no, but, I mean, I, I say that in a harsh way because the reality is is that no one is going to take care of you except you. You know, you got to be very hyper-cautious about what influences you because you are the head of your business and it's going to affect your business. It's going to affect your life. And most people put up with too much. Most people put up with too much negativity, too much, oh, yeah. you know, and, and it brings them down. And then they say, well, what am I going to do? They're my friends. Like, well, they don't have to be your friends. Yeah, you know? there's, no, there's nothing in blood. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, even with family, you know, you have to obviously respect your family, be a part of your family, you know, and, but you also have to have boundaries. You know, if you have family members that say to you, like, bad mouth you or say, like, you know, you're not going to make it or this doesn't make any sense, just say, hey, listen, man, like, if you're going to talk about that, you know, in that way, let's not talk about this topic, you yeah, know, because I'm on. trying to do something here. You can't just let it slide because if you let it slide, it's going to eat you up and it's going to bother you and it's going to affect you. So, you know, you just got to, you know, make sure that those, those expectations are in place. So when you, you know, I have, I have, you have so many different classes, you do it 360, 365 days a week. Like what, like the ones I've heard, you know, have been more like action focused around like how to deal with conflict was one, I, the most recent mm -hmm. one I listened to. 
like do you do more philosophy as well or is it mostly like hard hitting like this is how you get through like you know and do a webinar reach your goals I try to be as practical as possible. Um, from time to time, I do give lessons that I feel like are uh, mindset lessons or maybe lessons I've learned. So I just recently recorded a lesson that's going to be airing uh, in about three weeks. Uh, is the, the title of the lesson is Five Secrets I Learned from Studying Steve Jobs. And this is just things I've, I've just observed from his legacy. And I think that these five things differentiate him from other entrepreneurs. What's, and, what, what's one of those? One of them is focus. I mean, the first thing he did when he came back from Apple, when Apple was about to go bankrupt and he took it over again, was you guys got way too many products. Way too many products. You know, we're going to have four products and we're going to have four quadrants and it's called, you know, uh, user, pro, laptop, desktop. Done. And he's like, let's just focus on having great products. Forget about revenue right now. The products will sell themselves and let's can all of these other projects. They're like, what? We spent all this money in R&D and all these other projects? Can these projects. And that's just one of them. I mean, the guy was super focused. Yeah, what's another one? Another one is don't put too much too much um, weight or don't let uh, feedback control your business. A lot of people yeah. want to cater to every single piece of feedback. You should have a vision. He had a vision for Apple. This is what Apple's all about. It's about simplicity. It's about clean design. If I get feedback that helps improve that vision, then I'm going to implement it. But if somebody gives you feedback and say, uh, can you do this or this or that? And it has nothing to do with the vision. Like You have to just say thank you very much, but that's not what we're trying to do here. So Most people have a hard time dealing with that. It's they funny say, you like, say that because that's like the one thing that I've worked with tech founders about where it's like they do the, they interpret that like I need to be an ass to my team because I don't want feedback. Or I'm like, there's certain, like he was so good at what he did. He was like arrogant, yeah. but he was right. Whereas I have like these other people that I've worked with that are like, oh, I'm going to be arrogant and not listen to feedback because I'm smarter than everyone. And you're like, no, actually, you're not Steve Jobs. Yeah. Well, even Steve Jobs listens to feedback. I mean, he people thought he didn't listen, but I mean, there are iterations to the MacBook. You know, the MacBook yeah. didn't stay the same. You know, there's improvements they made. You know, they improved the design, they improved the weight, the battery life, whatever it is. You know, it's not like they didn't, but it, it had to do with the vision of what they're trying to do with their products. But, you know, if they said, oh, um, you know, I don't like the way, you know, I don't know, iOS uh, loads up. I, I, I want it to load up in a different way. And it has nothing to do with their vision. They're like, well, that's too much of a waste of time and money for no reason like, yeah. to cater to one person's feedback. You know, so you, he was very good at filtering and taking things with a grain of salt and not just feeling like I got to answer everybody's feedback and be, make everybody happy. This is not, you know, Disneyland. Yeah. Even though he started Pixar. Do you, yeah. um, <laughs> so we, I got to let you go in a minute, but, uh, like in the end, you know, your philosophy and how it guides you, like, I would love to know like how you've collaborated with people and who you've collaborated with to help get your show off the ground. Cause I think that's always an important start for people when they, they build something in a silo and it never benefits mm -hmm. them. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't do this alone. The show, um, I do it with my business partner and partner in life, Nicole Baldino. She's a producer and for the vast majority of the first 350 episodes was our head editor uh, of the show. Um, we have a full-time editor. We have a content manager. So, like, it's a team effort, and it's a part of... We, we all do it together, and I think it's really important to have everybody singing from the same song, song sheet, and everybody understands what's going on. They understand what they're trying to build. Like, you know, it's hard to create a solid team. It's one of the hardest things to do as an entrepreneur, but when you do have that cohesive team, it really helps you create something special. Um, but I also try to collaborate as much as possible with people in my market, people in my industry, people that I look up to, people I think that 
have done something significantly well. Um, you know, one of those people is Jordan Harbinger. Jordan Harbinger has a great show called Art of Charm. Yeah, he's you know, yeah, yeah he's and awesome. and yeah, we've we've kind of cross promoted each other's shows because we really believe in what they do. Um, we also, you know, we've been on each other's shows. I was his guest. He was gave a guest lesson on our show. So, you know, I try to collaborate as much as possible with people I feel like have the same types of philosophy, same type of work ethic as well. People that understand the the level of quality we're looking for. You know, uh, I've, you know, every two weeks we have a guest lesson on our show where a guest teacher teaches a lesson on a certain type of expertise. Uh, and sometimes I'll get a guest lesson uh, and it never airs because it's just not up to snuff. It's just right. not up to the standard. And it's hard because I have a relationship with this person. I say to them, you know, it was good. I liked it and everything. But, you know, either you can re-record it or uh, we're not going to air it as is. And sometimes they re-record it and we do air it and sometimes they don't. So, I mean, that, that's... That, <laughs> No one said this is going to be easy. You know, it's, it's hard to kind of negotiate that, but you have to do it. I like it. The, the fine art of dancing around, telling someone that doesn't fit right, but getting them to do yep. it again. Yeah. So uh, where, else, where can we find you guys, you and your, sure. your, your group? Um, you can learn more about our podcast, which is a daily 10-minute business podcast at 100mba.net. Uh, you could subscribe. It's completely free. Uh, we also have some free guides over there, uh, free courses. We try to add as much value as possible. Even if you are not a customer, you're part of our community. Um, we believe in just adding value and letting people decide. Um, if you're interested in doing any kind of webinars, uh, we have a platform called Webinar Ninja, which is at webinarninja.co. Uh, again, there's a free course over there, a seven-day course on how to plan your first webinar. Uh, give it a shot and uh, let you make the decision on whether you want to do business, business with us or not. Um, and I'll just keep on pumping out the content and hopefully yeah. people uh, will keep uh, taking it on. And you'll still love them if they don't buy from you. Oh, of course. I mean, they're, I mean, they're the people that make it happen. I mean, if I don't have listeners and if I don't have people that read our blog posts, then there's no reason for me to do it. You know, I mean, I got to keep on doing it and I serve that audience. And I truly, truly believe that that's not my job. My job is just to provide value when people are ready, they won't look around, they'll come to me. Cool. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. That was Omar. Went to his conference over the weekend for the Webinar Ninja. I have not done webinars before. I've never thought about doing webinars that seriously. But I'm turning my studio into a webinar space. And uh, it's a matter of time before I start moving things around. But I think it's about time for me to start really getting the idea of the book out there and principles as well as start hopefully doing pre-orders very soon and also courses. I want to focus on some branding classes that I think could offer people a lot of, of my knowledge and expertise for hopefully a reasonable price that would help people's businesses and not just their, their branding for themselves, but for their businesses, startups. And that will that, be coming soon. It'll be how to launch your startup idea or how to start your business. And I think webinars are a great way to reach people globally versus me speaking in Los Angeles doing a lot of talks at the LA County Public Library downtown LA and I teach classes um, for people to pay money to see me in Los Angeles at different schools. So I think the webinar is a really great extension of that where I can use a lot of the same philosophies from the book, from the podcast, and definitely stuff I talk about in real life IRL in LA. So in reaching a global audience, which would be awesome so uh, look for those very soon. Also loved Omar's conference because I saw my buddy John Corcoran and met a lot of podcasters in the business space that I hadn't connected with in real life. So one of the uh, fundamentals of the influencer economy mantra is be accessible and connect with people IRL. 
So if you ever go to a conference, make sure you go to one of the first times. Like if there's a conference and it's in your area, go if it's the first year for the conference. This is the first year for Omar's Web Ninja. And if you go and you're a founding member, for lack of a better term, you meet more people. It's a smaller conference. And you will say that you were there early before everyone else hit the conference when it was mainstream. And not every you know, conference will be that. For example, I didn't go to South by Southwest the first year, or I went to VidCon the first year, so I feel a lot more associated with it. So I went this weekend. I met so many smart people that I hope will be friends of mine for a long time. And I love the fact that you can hit people up on Facebook and Twitter and email so quickly now and network so fast. It's a phenomenal thing. So yeah, I loved the conference. Went to the LA Podcast Festival the week before that, where I talked to Mark Marin, who has a chapter in the book. He said he's looking forward to reading the book. I haven't booked Marin on the show yet. I didn't ask him to be on the podcast. I don't want to book Marin right now, but I think in the future, I will get Mark Marin on the podcast. I'm a firm believer in optimism. And one thing I've learned through this process is tell people what you're doing and then do it and execute on that. So when the chapter is ready for Mark to see, I think he'd be a great guest. Also, optimistically looking forward to hopefully interviewing Chris Hartwick of Nerdist, interviewing Bill Simmons of of new HBO fame. His podcast launched this week, as well as uh, Felicia Day. Uh, love to talk to her. Uh, been talking to her people about that for November, as well as Grace Helbig. Getting Flula back on the show would be awesome. Freddie Wong as well. So I'll be getting a lot of the old folks on the show, some new folks in the YouTube space, but... When the Rhino Show launches in a couple weeks, it's going to be stacked. I cannot wait for that to happen. So without further ado, heading to Duke Zebert's. Julia is almost two. We're going to get some chicken in the pot and some matzo ball soup. And actually, I'm hoping to get Larry King on the show. And uh, have a friend who's going to introduce me to Larry King's people. So it's exciting stuff. I cannot wait. Julia is almost two. She's saying more words, hopefully more sentences. But uh, in the end, she is awesome. Heading over to Duke Seabirds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 